grab your Bible today, and uh, we're going to be in the book of Acts. How many of you are ready to dive into God's Word this morning? Acts chapter 1 is where we're going to be. And today we're starting this new series that we're going to be in for the next couple of weeks that we're calling Unto the Ends of the Earth, Unto the Ends of the Earth. And we're going to talk for the next few weeks about how God has called us to be a part of something that is bigger than us and uh, how God is doing a global work and our responsibility and calling to that global work. And so today we're going to be in Acts chapter number one. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you and uh, you can take that Bible home if you need a Bible. And I want to encourage you to uh, follow along this morning as we're going to be in Acts chapter number one. And let's start reading in verse number one. The Bible says this, the former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Until the day in which he was taken up, after that he had, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive. Everybody say alive. After his passion, by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But you shall receive power. And after that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Today, I want to preach a message that I'm calling, Can I Get a Witness? Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, can I get a witness? Leave it in the online chat today. Can I get a witness? Let's have a word of prayer together this morning. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for this opportunity to come together to study your word, to lift high your name through worship. God, I pray that we would recognize that it's not about us. It's not about uh, what we want and our desires, but it's all about your will and your word. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today through your word. I pray that we would be encouraged and inspired from your word in our time together today. And we love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said this morning, several years ago, there was this massive Nike ad campaign that was surrounding an up-and-coming NBA superstar. And uh, this ad campaign, you could see it on billboards, on t-shirts, on commercials, and the ad had a slogan that just simply said, we are all witnesses. We are all witnesses. And the idea was that we are witnessing uh, the greatness of this athlete. We're witnessing the greatness of, of this up-and-coming superstar. And I remember seeing that several years ago. We are all witnesses. And I thought, you know, really, that would be the perfect mantra for every follower of Jesus. We are all witnesses. Because time and time again throughout the Bible, we see that we are called to be witnesses. In fact, 
Uh, just in the book of Acts, uh, the story of the early church, we see over 20 references to the fact that we are witnesses. Uh, the Bible says this in Acts chapter 2, verse number 32. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Acts chapter 3, verse number 15 says, And killed the prince of life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And so time and time again, uh, this fact that Jesus rose from the grave, uh, the Bible says that we are witnesses uh, to this fact. Acts twenty two fifteen: For thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. And so today, all of us are called to be witnesses. And we are called to be witnesses to something that is far more eternal reaching than an athlete or a sport or a game or a hobby. We are witnesses to the historical fact that a man named Jesus Christ of Nazareth lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, and rose again three days later. That is what we are witnessing to. And so we are testifying of the fact that Jesus is alive today. Is anybody thankful that Jesus is alive today? We are testifying and witnessing of this true event, this fact of the resurrection. Now, you might be thinking, well, I've never seen Jesus, and so how can I testify or witness of something in which I have not seen? Well, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 7 says this, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, Yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And so we might not be able to see Jesus in bodily form, but we see the evidence all around us. We see that God is still working today, that Jesus is working today, that he is speaking today through his word. And so we are called to be witnesses. Now, to be a witness is a serious calling, right? If you are a witness in a court of law and you do not speak the truth and nothing but the truth, that's a serious offense. It's perjury, right? And so to be a witness is a serious calling. And the same is true spiritually because the Greek word for witness is this word martus, martus. It's the same Greek word for the word martyr. And many of the early church witnesses would go on to be martyred for their faith. This was a very serious calling. By the way, following Jesus always accompanies a cost, There's a cost in following Jesus. Uh, Jesus said, which of you that's going to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost? But how many of you know that it's always worth it? It's always worth it to follow Jesus. And so this calling to be a witness is a serious calling. And we come to the book of Acts this morning, and we're going to dive into this subject of being a witness for Christ. Now, I love studying the book of Acts. I love studying the book of Luke. Uh, They are written... Uh, by uh, Luke, who is a detailed historian. Acts is actually a sequel. It's actually part two. The Gospel of Luke is part one, and uh, Acts is the story of the church. And uh, Luke was a very detailed historian. He was a physician and paid great attention to uh, names and places. And so uh, Luke was inviting the skeptic in. Hey, if you don't believe in the validity and the historicity of what I'm writing, then you can go and research for yourself and look at these names and these places that would authenticate uh, this writing. And so Luke was a very detailed historian that gives us great uh, credibility uh, with Scripture. Now, for years, many people doubted the works and the writing of, uh, of Luke and Acts because there were certain places that Luke mentioned that uh, couldn't be verified. And so people would mock uh, uh, these 
uh, letters, one of which was a man named Sir William Ramsey. He was one of the world's leading uh, archaeologists, and he doubted the validity of Luke. And so what he did in the late 1800s was he went around on this tour and traveled to uh, Greece and Asia Minor and different places because he wanted to study the book of Acts and see, are these places legitimate? Are these places real? After that trip, this is what Sir William Ramsey said, not a Christian, uh, not a follower of Jesus at the time. He said this, Luke is a historian of the first rank. Not merely are his statements of fact trustworthy, he is possessed of the true historic sense. In short, this author should be placed along with the greatest of historians. He was so impressed with his archaeological findings and so impressed with, his, uh, with Luke's writings that he eventually later became a Christian himself. And so we see that the way that Luke writes gives us this great, uh, this great credibility and validity and reminder that our faith is based on fact. Uh, another uh, Roman historian, his name was Sherman White, he said this, For Acts, the confirmation of historicity is overwhelming. Any attempt to reject its basic historicity must now appear absurd. Roman historians have long taken it for granted. You say, why, why are we talking about this? I'm telling us this today to remind us that we do not have a blind faith, and we do not push the skeptic away. We invite the skeptic in. Hey, we welcome the skeptic. We welcome the questions because we have a reliable faith. Does anybody believe today that we have a more sure word of prophecy? Hey, we can trust the word of God. And so Luke gives us this, this confidence. And through this uh, opening statement in the book of Acts, what we're going to see is a couple of characteristics and some ways that we can be an effective witness. And so if you're taking notes today, I want to give us three ways that we can be an effective witness from these first opening sentences in the book of Acts. Would that be okay today? And so if you're taking notes today, how can we be an effective witness, have this global outreach mindset? Number one is this, start with the one. Start with the one. Now, let's pick it up in verse number one. I want to encourage you to keep your Bible open and ready today, and uh, we're going to refer back to verses one through eight often. All right, are you ready? Verse number one, the former treatise have I made, that was talking about the gospel of Luke. And so he's saying that first book that I wrote, um, uh, the former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. And so the entire book of Acts starts with Luke addressing one individual. It starts with Luke talking to Theophilus. It's the same way that the gospel of Luke is started. If you read uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, Luke starts by addressing the most excellent Theophilus. Uh, many believe that this man, Theophilus, was a wealthy, uh, influential man from Antioch and, and perhaps funded Luke's investigative journey to go and investigate the person and work of Jesus. And so uh, Luke wrote the first gospel to present the person of Jesus, and now he's writing Acts to present the history of the early church. And I love that he starts with just addressing this one individual, Theophilus. And he wants Theophilus right off the bat to know two things. Uh, first, he wants Theophilus to know about the pattern of Jesus. I want you to see it in verse number one, the pattern of Jesus. We see it in verse one at the end where he says this. He says, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. You see the pattern of Jesus. He, he was a teacher, but he was a doer. He, he was someone that was going to teach the truth and also do what is right. Uh, teaching and doing, they go hand in hand. And, and uh, you know, some things in life, they don't go hand in hand, right? Uh, some things in life, uh, they just don't go together. The other day, I was hearing some people around the office talk about this chicken place that, that I needed to try, this fried chicken place. Any fried chicken fans? Uh, and so I was thinking, all right, fried chicken, new place. I want to go try it. And so uh, I typed in the address. This was a couple of weeks ago, and I went to this fried chicken place. 
And I pulled up and I thought, all right. And, and I went inside and I discovered that this chicken place was one of these establishments that kind of has two restaurants that share one kitchen. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Like they kind of just mix them together. And so uh, there was a fried chicken uh, place on one half of the restaurant. And on the other side was seafood and poke in the same restaurant. And so I walked in there and those smells mixed together. I just thought, this is not going to work. And so I smiled and I waved at them and I walked right out the door. I didn't even try it. Now, maybe I should have given it a chance. Maybe it's the best chicken in the world, but I just couldn't handle that, that pairing together, right? Some things in life, they just don't go together. Let me tell you something in life that always goes together, your words and your deeds, what you do and what you say. We are living in a generation of Christianity that is often professing something that they do not practice. It's easy to know a mission statement that's written on the wall, reaching people with a life-giving, life-changing message of Jesus. I love that mission statement. It's what we're all about. It's one thing to profess it. It's a whole other thing to practice it. Are we serious about reaching people with a life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus? It can't just be something that we say. It has to be something that we do. And what, what Luke is writing to this individual, to Theophilus, he was saying, hey, in the Gospel of Luke, I showed you what Jesus taught and what he did because that was his twofold ministry. That was the pattern of Jesus. His words were in alignment with his deeds. But not only does he talk about the pattern of Jesus, he also here talks about the proof of Jesus. And I love this. Notice it in verse number two, the proof of Jesus. He says this, he says, until the day in which he was taken up, that refers to his ascension back into heaven. So he had resurrected from the grave, then he ascended back up into heaven. That he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. And I love verse number three. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. After Jesus resurrected from the grave, he showed himself alive after many infallible proofs for 40 days. In other words, the resurrection of Jesus wasn't hidden and done in a corner somewhere. He showed himself alive many infallible proofs. The word infallible is this Greek word tekmerion. It means indubitable. It means undeniable. It means Jesus showed himself alive in an undeniable way for 40 days. This wasn't done in a corner. There was proof. There was many infallible proofs. By the way, uh, Luke is not the only uh, uh, writer that would say this in the New Testament. Paul went on in 1 Corinthians 15, and he said this in 1 Corinthians 15, verse number four. Everybody with me? Anybody else with me today? 1 Corinthians 15, verse four. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. By the way, that is the gospel. That's the truth of the gospel, that Jesus died and he rose again on the third day and he is offering eternal life and everlasting life to any that call upon his name. Okay, and so Paul is talking about this, that he died and rose again the third day according to the scriptures and that he was seen of Cephas, that's Peter, that's his Aramaic name, seen of Peter first, then of the 12. After that, he was seen above 500 brethren at once. Some people say, well, People just thought that they saw Jesus, and, and uh, it was just kind of a hallucination. It's hard to have a mass hallucination with 500 people at once, right? But here's my favorite part. Are you ready for it? He says, of whom? Now, remember, Paul's writing in the first century to an actual church, to real people. This is a real letter that he's writing to a real church in the city of Corinth, a real city. He says, of whom? The greater part remain unto this present. But some are falling asleep. He says, some have passed away. But the greater part of those 500 people, they are alive today. Why was Paul saying that? 
He was saying, if you don't take my word for it, go and ask one of the other witnesses. You don't believe them? Go ask someone else. Hey, there's 500 people that saw him at once. Go and investigate for yourself. See, we have a, a faith that is not based on just subjective feelings. We have a faith that is based on the historical fact that Jesus is alive and well today. And he says, hey, investigate for yourself. And so what, what Luke thought it was important for this individual to know, Theophilus, he says, I want you to know about the pattern of Jesus, what he taught and what he did. But I also want you to know that there is great proof and evidence all around us to the fact that Jesus is alive. Now, the writings of Luke would go on and impact millions of people. But I love that Luke started with one. He addressed the letter to Theophilus. See, before we can be serious about reaching the world and what God is doing all around the world, we have to be willing to reach out and to find a Theophilus. I wonder today in your life, who is your Theophilus? Who's the one? Who's the one that you're reaching out to that you're praying that they would get saved? Who's the one that you're inviting to church? Who's the one that you're mentoring? Who's the one that you are discipling? See, it starts with one. Luke said, Theophilus, this is what's important for you to know. I remember when I was in college, I was on a Saturday afternoon teaching this junior high boys Bible study class, and uh, I was kind of asked to be put in this position, and I went, and every Saturday I would teach this junior high uh, Bible class, and it honestly was out of control at times. It was just uh, very difficult uh, to get these uh, junior hires to listen, and uh, their parents didn't come, and they, they had all these buses and vans that would go out and pick up kids and bring them to church, and they would all come together, and they didn't have the best uh, home lives and home situations, and they would come in, and I would try to teach, and, and uh, it was a rough situation. Many times, true story, the police would be called because there was fights that would break out, and I'm just sitting there like, I just don't want to get punched just, just you know like like take care of it amongst yourselves and uh, it was a rough situation and honestly at times I was pretty discouraged in that class because I thought I'm not connecting with these kids I'm not I'm trying to do my best to play a game they're not really listening and and uh, I had a few helpers that stood in the back some other college students which I later found out were kind of rooting against me and one of them said Matt can't control this class and so they were kind of just standing not really helping and no one was really listening and it was kind of a discouraging experience but there was this one seventh grade boy, and a kid he knows him, his name is Leo. And uh, Leo came every week, and if there was one person that perhaps listened in that class, it was Leo. And uh, he came, and uh, uh, Leo would listen, and he would listen to the lesson that I would teach, and sometimes he would talk to me afterwards. And, and uh, Leo found out that we were having a summer camp uh, for all the teenagers in the church, and, and he came to me and said, I really want to go to that summer, summer team camp. And uh, I, said, I said, yeah, that'd be awesome. And he said, but I can't afford it. I don't have any money. I can't, I can't afford to go to this camp. And I said, Leo, if you can get your parents to sign a permission slip, his parents never came to church. I said, if they'll sign a permission slip, we'll figure out a way to sponsor you to go to team camp. And so uh, next week he came back, he was smiling so big, he had his signed permission slip in hand. And uh, so he was excited to go to camp. And so we went to camp that week and I watched Leo. He had a, he had a lot of fun and uh, played all the games and participating. And it came down to the last night of teen camp. And uh, if you've ever been to a youth uh, summer camp, typically on the last night, there's like a testimony night. You know, everyone kind of gathers around the fire. How many of you know what I'm talking about, right? Sometimes, you, you know, back in the day, you would throw your rock and roll CDs in the fire, right? I'm going to leave those behind me, the world behind me. And, uh, and so it came down to that last night, and uh, everyone was going to be sharing some testimonies. And there was a few hundred kids there. And uh, we gathered around. We gathered around to share some testimonies, and Leo was sitting on the front row, and towards the end, he, he shot his hand up that he was going to give a testimony, and uh, I was thinking, oh boy, you know, I have no idea uh, what his testimony is going to be, and uh, he shot his hand up, and he said, in front of maybe 300 teenagers, he said, my decision this week 
is that I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And then he said, and also, Matt Chapel is my best friend. <laughs> and he said that in front of everyone. I thought, all right, you know. And uh, I will be the first to tell you that that Saturday class did not look like a success. I mean, we were not having revival. We were not having success. We were not seeing growth. It was kind of a discouraging experience. But I'm thankful today that there was one life that was impacted. There was one teenager. How many of you know that all of heaven rejoices over the value of one? Jesus said, I'm willing to leave the 99 to go after the one. Who is it in your life today? Who's the one? Yeah, Luke impacted millions, but he started with Theophilus. Today, as we talk about missions, as we talk about what God's doing around the world, I hope you don't leave today before you identify the one person that you can go after. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a family member. Who's the one? Before we can change the world, we have to reach out and find a Theophilus. You know, Lee Strobel, he put it this way. Uh, Lee Strobel said this, I've seen far too many Christians who are more than willing to travel halfway around the world to volunteer for a week in an orphanage, but who cannot bring themselves to take the personal risk of sharing Jesus with a coworker who sits day after day in the cubicle right next to them. Okay, this morning, let's start with the one. Okay, let's start with the one. Number two, here's the second thought today. We not only start with the one, we have to stay patient. Stay patient. Stay patient. We see it starting in verse number four. It says this in verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait. Everybody say wait. Leave it in the chat online today. Wait. Jesus says wait for the promise of the Father. Wait. Now, as I studied this passage, this kind of stood out to me. Because the disciples had seen Jesus in his ministry for the last three years. They had seen Jesus do some amazing miracles. They had heard Jesus teach. And now they had seen Jesus resurrect from the grave. He's getting ready to ascend back up into heaven. I can imagine the disciples are ready to go. Uh, they are ready to just charge hell with the squirt gun. They're ready to just move forward. All right, Jesus uh, came back to life. We're going to go and preach the good news of the gospel. Uh, they're ready to go. And Jesus looks at him and he says, wait. What do you mean, wait? You've been telling us for three years. You've already given us the great commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. He, they, they've already got the great commission. They're ready to go, and Jesus says, you need to wait. Why? Why couldn't they just get going? Jesus says, you need to wait. You know, we live in a culture that struggles with patience. How many of you would be honest to say, I struggle with patience? My hand is up. Uh, this past week, my garage door remote ran out of batteries, and so I went on Amazon and I found the battery on Amazon. It was $5 for a pack of five. And so I put that in the cart, and I was really delighted because it was Amazon Prime. How many of you know that's a great feeling when there's that little Amazon Prime symbol? You're like, yes, okay? Amazon Prime, free shipping, and better yet, it was going to arrive next day. And I was like, this is great. I go to check out, and then I saw this little option that said you can have it arrive same day, but it's $3 more. And so then I was in this conundrum because the batteries only cost $5, but the shipping would cost $3. I'm like, is it worth I don't really need it today. I'm happy to tell you today that I practiced delayed gratification and I didn't do the same day shipping. Thank you. Thank you. It's a real, it's a baby step for me, but it's the first step, right? And uh, we struggle so often with patience. We want to move forward. We, we want to go to that next season. We want the next phase. We want God to show up and give us an answer now. And so often we want clarity. We want perspective. We want God to give us a, a detailed answer now. And often God says, what I want you to do is be still. And he tells the disciples, wait, stay patient. 
The Bible says in Isaiah 40, verse number 31, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And they shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. You know, Hudson Taylor, a famous missionary, this was his statement. He said, there are three indispensable requirements for a missionary. Patience, patience, patience. Now, the disciples were ready to go, but Jesus says, wait, because they're missing something. Okay, and I want you to see it in verse number four. Jesus is going to give an explanation. Okay, here's the explanation, verse four. He says, but wait. What are they waiting for? The promise of the Father. All right, well, what's that? Jesus says, you need to wait for the promise of the Father. Well, what's the promise of the Father? Well, as you study Scripture, it becomes evident and clear what that promise is. Luke chapter 11, verse 13 says this, If ye then, Jesus speaking, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? John 14, 16, and I pray that the Father, he shall give you another comforter. Matthew 10, 20, for it is not uh, ye that speak, but the spirit of your Father. And so the promise of the Father that they had to wait for was the coming and dwelling and filling of the Holy Spirit. He says, don't go out yet. Don't charge out in your own strength. Don't charge out in your own energy, because what you need is the power of the Holy Spirit. How often in life do we try to charge forward and blaze a trail in our own strength? You know, I'm ready. It might even be a good desire. I have a good desire in my heart. I want to see God do some great things in my family and in my church, and I want God to show up and do an incredible work, and we try to do it all in our own strength apart from the power of God. And so here, uh, Jesus is telling the disciples, you need to wait for the promise of the Father. You need the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit of God. See, See, we need God's power in our lives and God's power in our ministry to be effective. Without God's power, we're just kind of going through the motions. It's kind of like this microphone. If I just turn this microphone off, When I turn the power on, all of a sudden, it makes all the difference in the world. Can I tell you that the Holy Spirit of God makes all the difference in the world today? Hey, we can't go in our own strength and reach the world. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus says, you've got to wait. You've got to be still. You've got to wait for uh, the the promise of the Father. Now, notice verse number five. Is everybody still with me today? Notice verse five. It says this, for John truly baptized with water. John the Baptist uh, talk, talking about how John the Baptist was baptizing in the Jordan River. He baptized with water. But you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. And so here he's talking about the baptism of the Spirit. He's saying you're going to be baptized in the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? Is it okay if we just go a little bit deeper today and we actually study the Bible for a few minutes? And so what does this mean, to be baptized in the Spirit? Well, the key reference here that we need to know of is 1 Corinthians 12, 13. If you want to jot that down, it'll be on the screen today. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 it says this. For by one spirit are we all, everybody say all, all, All. leave it in the chat today, all. For by one spirit we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we bond or free, and have been made all to drink into one spirit. All of us. He's writing to the church saying everyone, all. And so what that means is if you have prayed and accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've been baptized in the spirit. All of us, we, we all, this is not a subsequent experience that happens post-salvation. This happens at the moment that you call upon the name of the Lord, invite Jesus into your life. In that moment, you are indwelled with the Holy Spirit of God. Warren Wearsby put it this way. He said, uh, to be baptized by the Spirit means that we belong to Christ's body. To be filled with the Spirit 
means that our bodies belong to Christ. And so there's one indwelling at the moment of salvation, but there's many fillings. How many of you know that we uh, cannot uh, operate in the ministry and be successful in our own strength? We have to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. So we're filled. We're filled with the Spirit. This is what Jesus is teaching the disciples. This is the explanation. Now, I want you to see what the disciples, how they responded, kind of what was on their mind. Okay, notice verse number six. When they therefore will come together, they asked of him saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? The disciples, if you say the gospels, they kind of had a one-track mind. Uh, they asked this often. They wanted Jesus to establish an earthly kingdom. See, the disciples and the Jewish people were frustrated because they were under the, the rule and the hand of the Roman government. Now, now, the Israelites had a history of being in captivity, right? It was the Babylonians, it was the Persians, it was, it was uh, under the Romans. They, were, they had this history of being in captivity, and they were frustrated, and they thought that the coming Messiah would liberate them from this captivity, that Jesus would establish an earthly kingdom, and then they would have this perfect utopian environment where they would be in control, and they would be free from the oppression, and so they asked Jesus, okay, so Jesus, you resurrected from the grave, you're getting ready to go to heaven. Is now the time that you're going to overthrow the Roman government? Is now the time that you're going to establish this earthly kingdom? Here's what I want you to see. They were hoping for a political Messiah. Things are messed up. We're tired of being under the Roman rule and tyranny. We need a political savior. But Jesus did not come to be a political savior. Uh, Jesus came to redeem them and set them free, not from the Romans, but from their sin. And, and so they, they were having this earthly mindset. Jesus set up your kingdom now. But Jesus reminded them time and time again, hey, your citizenship is not here. Your citizenship is in heaven. Can I remind someone today that your citizenship is not here? Your citizenship is in heaven. And so often we are looking here and now for a perfect utopian society where everyone agrees with me and I have comfort and I have convenience. And when I have that, uh, th that's the goal that I'm aiming for. Hey, that's not the goal that we should be aiming for. We are strangers and pilgrims. We are exiles. This world is not our home. We are just passing through. And so the disciples were thinking, Jesus, now establish your earthly kingdom. They were thinking in terms of the political environment. By the way, I, I think that we should be good, informed citizens. But if your political consumption outweighs your biblical consumption, you have an unhealthy spiritual diet. We need to make sure that we are prioritizing the word of God and thinking through a biblical worldview and not just our favorite news media outlet. So the disciples, they were a little bit confused. Jesus, are you going to set up this earthly kingdom here now? Notice Jesus' response. Ready for it? Verse 7, and he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons. You know what Jesus says? None of your business. Jesus, are you going to set up this kingdom now? Jesus says, you don't need to know that. It's not up to you to know the times and seasons. You're not in control. You're not sovereign. You're not God. I am, Jesus says. Notice it, verse 7. It's not for you to know the times and seasons, which the Father hath put in his own power. I'm thankful today that the God that we worship is all sovereign, always in control. He's not surprised by what's going on in the world today. He's not taken back. Uh, he is always in control. Ecclesiastes 3.1, to everything there is a season and a time and a purpose under the heaven. Ecclesiastes 3.11, and he hath made everything beautiful in his time. Aren't you thankful for that today? See, when you recognize that God can make everything beautiful in his time, it's a whole lot easier to stay patient. 
I'm just going to trust that God's in control. I don't understand what's going on, and, and I want to move forward. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're at a spot where you just you want to move forward. I want to move to the next step. I want to move to the next phase. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to charge forward. And maybe God wants to instill in your heart this message. Stay patient. Wait on my timing. Acts 17, God has determined the times before appointed. Jesus says, hey, it's not for you to determine the times and seasons. I am in control. And so today we've got to start with the one. We stay patient. And then here's the third thought. You ready for it? Number three, spread the word. Start with the one, stay patient, and then spread the word. Now, as we close today, and as we see these final few verses, we're going to see Jesus's final words here on earth. These were his last words. Now, whenever someone uh, is about to give their last words, typically we pay more attention, right? What's the last thing that they want to communicate? We know some famous last words in history. Winston Churchill, he said his famous last words were, I'm so bored with it all. His last words. Nathaniel Hale, his famous last words, I only regret that I have but one life to lose for my country. Some famous last words. Here's Jesus' last words on earth. Ready? Verse 8. But you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. We see two things in this verse, and we'll be done today. Everybody still with me today? You have a few more minutes? All right, two things in this verse. First, the scope of our mission, the scope of it. He says, I want you to be my witnesses in both Jerusalem, in Judea, and in Samaria, and into the uttermost parts of the earth. And so I want us to see this this morning. First, we see Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem was their city. Those were close people, close in proximity, close culturally, spoke the same language. They knew their friends, their neighbors, their family. Jerusalem. And then he says, Judea. This, this would have been their own country. This would have been a broader region, but these were still their own people. This was their own country. And then we have Samaria. Now, Samaria was close geographically, but very distant culturally. Uh, Samaritans uh, and Jews did not get along at all. And he says, you're going to be witnesses both in your own city and your own nation, but also into Samaria. Now, that would have been shocking Jesus was hinting at this throughout his ministry, and the disciples were uncomfortable with it. And he says, now you're going to be witnesses, not to just your own little region, not just your own place, but also into Samaria, crossing borders. And then he says, the uttermost parts of the earth. And he says, these are people that are not close to you distance-wise, and they're not close to you culturally. The uttermost parts of the earth. And as we close today, I think that this is a great spiritual diagnostic for us to take a look at each one of these. And to ask some questions. Here's the first question with Jerusalem. What friends or family members am I inviting to church? Who are the people in my life that are in close proximity that I'm praying for, that I'm reaching out to? Who is in my Jerusalem? And then Judea, here's the second question. How am I burdened for my own country? Am I praying for people in my country and the leaders in my country? And am I burdened for my own region, my own country? How about Samaria? Here's the question. Who am I loving and reaching that is very different than me? It's one thing to reach out to someone that we already know we agree with them in politics, we agree with them and, and, and socially and all these things in life. But who am I praying for? Who am I burdened for that's very different than I am? Very different culturally, very different uh, upbringing and experiences, but who am I reaching? Who is in my Samaria? And then the uttermost. And here's the question. Am I involved with missions around the world? Now, we can be involved with missions around the world in two ways. We can go 
or we can give. I believe and I'm praying that God would raise up some people in our church that would say, you know what, I'm going to go to the mission field. I'm going to go to a place like Costa Rica. I'm going to go to Korea. I'm going to go to Mexico. I'm going to go to Honduras. I'm going to go to one of these areas that desperately needs the gospel. How many of you think it would be a wonderful thing if some people in our church said, you know what, I'm going to go and surrender to missions. By the way, I'm thankful that we have some young people in our church that have surrendered to missions and are going to Bible college to study these very things. But maybe you might not ever go, but we can all support and give. We can all pray. Uh, in, in the back today, uh, missionary Ed Bordell has some postcards or uh, some prayer cards on the back today. I would encourage you, grab one of those prayer cards on a daily basis. Be praying for him. Be praying for our missionaries. But also, we can give. And today, one of the things that we talked about last week that we're going to talk about this morning and this evening is the stewardship commitment cards. And, and these cards have a couple different categories. The first category says tithe. Uh, this is to the Lord through my church. Hey, we can't be healthy and supporting other missionaries if we're not sustained here, right? And so we want to be faithful to the Lord in our giving here locally. The next category says multiply. This is the building fund for our future, and I'm believing that God is going to provide for us a building to call home that we can purchase. Anybody else believe it today? We need to have a little bit of faith that God's going to provide for us a building. And so I'm thankful that there's many in our church that every week above and beyond uh, their tithe, they give to this multiply fund, believing uh, for a building for our church. And then missions. This is uh, through my church to missions. I'm thankful that we have uh, five missionaries that we support as a church, and we want to radically increase that number. Uh, we want to be able to uh, increase that number to uh, be able to support more missionaries. And so I would encourage you to pray about this, to pray about this as a family. We, we give monthly and weekly uh, to all kinds of different things, right? How much money we spend on Starbucks, how much money we spend on Netflix, on Spotify, on Apple Music. What would happen if, if our church decided, you know what, I'm going to give $10 a week to missions. How many more missionaries could we support? I'm going to give $50 a month to missions. How many more missionaries could we support? Paul said this in Philippians 2, verse 15. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. See, when we give to missions, when we give through the local church to missionaries around the world, that might be a place that you never go to, but hey, that can be fruit that abounds to your account. And so I'm praying that our church family would rise to the occasion and say, you know what, I'm going to think of this as bigger than me and be a part of something that's bigger than myself, and I want to give to what God is doing around the world. And so today, in this verse, as we close, we see the scope of our mission, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost, the ends of the earth. But then, as we close today, the strength of our mission, the strength of our, our mission. Notice verse number eight. Everybody still with me? He says, but you shall receive power. And the worship team can get ready to come out. You shall receive power. And after that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses. He says, you will receive power. See, the scope of our mission is pretty large. Right? The uttermost parts of the earth, that's a lot of territory. We have a pretty big assignment to be witnesses unto the ends of the earth. 
But here's the good news. We have everything that we need to be successful in our calling. How many of you are thankful that with God's calling comes God's enabling? He will enable us and empower us to do it. He'll give us the strength that we need through his spirit. Through the Holy Spirit of God. Zechariah 4, 6 says this. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but... By my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. It's not in my own strength, but through the power of the Holy Spirit of God, we can be successful as witnesses and successful in our mission today. And this is so radically important that we understand this today. I was reading recently, there's this new term in the Silicon Valley that they've been talking about the last couple of years. It's this term that they've coined solutionism. How many of you have ever heard this term solutionism? It's with all of these tech companies and they're talking about this idea that solutionism means given the right resources, mankind can solve any problems that we face. That's the idea. And so no matter what the crisis is, no matter what the problem is, whether it's healthcare, uh, climate, whether it's economics, whether it's education, whatever the problem is, if mankind has the right resources and the right leadership, then we can find a solution to every problem. Here's the problem with solutionism. It leaves God out of the equation and it elevates this human omnipotence where we can do anything. Can I please urge with you today to understand this, that there are some things in life that no matter how hard we try, we will never come up with a solution for. We can't come up with a solution for sin. We can't come up with a solution for the evil that's in the world. But what is impossible with man is entirely possible with God. And I want to tell you today that Jesus is our solution, that he is our savior, that he can offer the forgiveness of sins, that he can give us freedom from sin, and that he can give us a home in heaven. And how many of you know that is a message that's worth sharing? That is what we are witnessing about. That is what we are passionate about. We're not sitting back on our hands. We're charging forward, not in our own strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. That's the message that we're sharing. That's what this is all about. That's why we're fired up. There is a heaven. There is a hell. We've been called to be witnesses. Far too often, we're living our lives so comfortably, consumed with our own comfort, our own convenience. Meanwhile, there is a lost and dying world that's drifting further from the truth, that's becoming more and more unaware of the Word of God. And we are concerned with Utopia. The Christian life is not a game that is to be played. The Christian life is a war that is to be waged. It's a battleground. We're called to be witnesses. We have an assignment. See, this gives us purpose. I read a statistic by Lifeway Research this week that said some 63% uh, of people uh, that were surveyed during the pandemic said that daily they thought about purpose. A lot of people's world got turned upside down in COVID wondering, what's my purpose? I I can't go to work anymore. I can't do what I used to do. That was my identity. That was my purpose. And now purpose has eluded us. And I'd say what our purpose is, to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. That's what God has called us to do. That's, That's what this is all about. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning as we close.